Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Mairead, good afternoon. How are you? Hello, lovely to hear your voice again. Uh, it's lovely to hear your voice as well. Uh, and uh, it, it, is it getting a bit scorchio down where you are? It's all. It's... Yeah, he's in its backside. <laughs> it's miserable. <laughs> well, it's I common, mean, they're saying. Pretty, there's a mist down and uh, uh, it's totally cloudy and there's not the sign of somewhere out there. So I'm listening to all this gorgeous weather that's coming and um, hopefully it will, it will arrive. But... Uh, but anyway, last week we got the, the sheep shorn and uh, that Good. was a great day's work that that got done. Um, we actually, we had to go to an awful lot of trouble. We had to get them in the night before in case it rained and their fleeces got wet. And then rather than get the lambs all dirty, we had to separate all the lambs from the oes. So there was pandemonium here and um, our shearer didn't turn up until about two in the afternoon. So we didn't get them all back together until that evening. So then, I mean, the silence was absolutely golden <laughs> when they all met up again. But, um, but oh, it's such an important job to be done. And, yeah. I mean, if the weather was to be turned turn out the way they're being promising for the next few days, it would have made them their lives intolerable to still have their fleeces ah, on. Ah, yes, know? absolutely. But, uh, though, yeah, I, imagine, and you have alluded... You know, you have alluded to this before. Is it worth the money? Now, obviously, you have to because no. the, the, it's not worth the money to do it. No, no, no. I mean, there is just, uh, it absolutely isn't worth the money. You know, it's uh, 20, 25 cents a kilo. It costs a lot more to get it shorn. But you have to do it. It's part of animal welfare. Um, you know, can you imagine next week if, or at the end of the week, if the weather is going to go the way it's promised? Wearing maybe a, a, a you know a, um, pair of you know tracksuit bottoms and a tracksuit top and a heavy coat over the top of that like they do for the rugby matches you know the way those long coats <laughs> can you imagine now going around in that yeah. you know it'd be pure misery and um, so anyway it's great I I just it's just one of the jobs that you just really like to get off the list to do and get it out of the way because um, you know just for for everybody's sake man and beast. Uh, but anyway, out of the way. Have, yes, yes. Uh, uh, have we reached the point where a, a sheepdog is worth more than a sheep? <laughs> well, well, special ones are, and this one is special. Um, the little dog, oh no, it's a bitch actually, it's a female. She's only three months old and she created a world record price of over €12,000 at a sales in Wales last week. Now, her name is New Bold Kaz. So it's New Bold, N-E-W-B-O-L-D-C-A-Z. And you can look her up on, on YouTube. She's three months old and she took full control of a flock of sheep. Now, um, I don't know. I, I've talked about the Jeremy Clarkson, Clarkson's farm thing. And one of the things he did on the farm was um, get a drone and get it to bark. He put a barking app on the drone. <laughs> so he, he reckoned that would keep the sheep under control. So the sheep kind of fell for the novelty for about a day. And after that, they just ran riot. So a good sheepdog, you know, he, he had, I think, three or four people in the field trying to help him round up these sheep or send them in a certain direction. And they went everywhere except where they were supposed to go. He had no dog. And um, anyway, uh, you know, even with sophisticated modern technology, you might think that the B.O.s would be fooled, but they weren't. But this little bitch, um, and I'm not denigrating yeah. her or anything, this little um, dog um, really was something else. Um, I couldn't get over her uh, because, you know, if you watch one man and his dog or the young dog, you know, the young handlers competition, 
um, where there's an awful lot of youngsters involved in all of this, getting training dogs and uh, or little sheepdog pups for um, you know use on farms. Um, it's it's absolutely an art form what they do. Yeah. But that this three month old was able to understand all the whistles and listen to her 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 boss as such give her directions and follow through and only three months old. So she made a world record price and look her up there on Ball on YouTube now. Um, there's a, there's a couple of videos of her and she, um, she, yeah. So the sales were on in, in Wales and there's quite a lot of this going on. So you've got fully trained, partially trained, trained and the sheepdog pup classes. And there was 172 dogs, sheepdogs up for sale, which is a fine number. Um, 29 of them were from Ireland and mostly from Donegal and the average price they made was €4,800 which is a nice handy earner for somebody who's going to put you know a couple of hours a day into training you know a young pope or bring them to the party train stages so um, So they are worth their weight and go Are there people who specialise then in breeding sheepdogs? Oh absolutely they have they have the strain you know it's it's like no it's everything else. If you want to get a yoda produces a lot of milk, you know you you organize. You can do that through breeding, selective breeding. Um, but the same with with dogs and their ability, uh, and bitches and their ability to to take orders and to have this absolute sixth sense about where the sheep should be and go. It really is now quite enthralling to watch, um, and and it is very popular. And you know youngsters. Oh, there's, you know, there's a lot of trialing with youngsters and a lot of comp- competitions between England, Ireland, Scotland and um, and Wales. And so, you know, it, it's not a dying craft at all. And when you think of that many dogs, 172 of them uh, being sold, you know, it's a significant act of fate in the future as well. Right. Yes, yes it is indeed. Uh, yeah. I, uh, somebody's texted in a question for you. Can you ask Maraid, what is the name of the scenic mountain or hill in County Limerick? She was talking about a few weeks ago. Loch Fierna. Right, that's it. Right. Yeah, fantastic, wonderful views. Nearly the whole of Munster can be seen from the top of it. Wow. And it is not a steep climb. It's not a difficult climb. I could do it. Anyone could do it. Right. And on the subject of walking, uh, uh, more it's busier now. So is it a bit more hairy going around? Yeah. Well, now, you know, some people might give out to me for saying this, but um, I had a six kilometre uh, walking route. You know, well, I mean, I went three miles, three kilometres from the house and three miles back, three kilometres back. And, you know, there's a couple of hairy bends on it and, you know, you'd have to go to the wrong side of the road because you'd know if you were, you know, if a car came around the bend, they were going to be sold into the curb or into the the grass margin that, you know, unless you were sitting on top of the ditch, you couldn't avoid them. So it was grand. And I, I was wondering to myself why I hadn't used this route before much uh, and I'd never really walked on it. Well, by golly, it has come home and hit me hard. Um... These are the all routes now. You know, they're relatively busy and the traffic is back up to, you know, pre-COVID levels at this stage. But one of the big problems for people who got used to walking the roads, and, and that was the way most of us got our exercise, is that while the traffic is back to normal, the road verges and even the junctions. Now, here in Limerick, I think it's only in the last two weeks that they've got started at clearing, you know, cutting around the, the junction signs mm-hmm. like honest to god i got nearly fed up coming down in the car and trying to turn left or right and having to go way out on the road before i could get a clear view of traffic coming in either direction now they've got at the junctions but nobody farmers can't cut 
their hedges um, until I think it's the 1st of September. And the growth is such that it's taken metres off either side of the road, of metres of visibility from both walkers and, yeah. and drivers. And it's really uncomfortable. Now, in the wintertime, you can step up on the ditch. You know, you know, you're not going to kind of put your foot into a foot of or two feet of water or something. <laughs> um, but in the in the summertime, because of the amount of growth, you can't even see where to put your feet. So, you know, so I, I, I absolutely get why we need to keep all the hedging. I really do. But in, in the case of this, when visibility is really impacted and where every bend is a potential death trap for the people who are walking on it, um, I just wonder, should there be more tolerance given to cutting road, you know, road um, verges uh, along the ore roads in particular, which are busy, but, you know, they're not wide enough. You know, like, I mean, again, a lot of the roads people have to stop let the second vehicle pass them or the vehicle on the other side of the road pass them. And this is the kind of road that an awful lot of people like myself in rural areas are walking. Um, but but they're really a debt trap at the moment yeah. because the amount of growth is so strong and won't be cut for another six weeks by the sounds of it. Yeah, but, uh, perhaps a bit of balance uh, needs to be brought in there. I think there, there is, yeah. No, farmers needn't cut their internal hedges. But that, that distance of ground, um, you know, it is significant and it is taking a metre or two metres on either side of visibility away from walkers mm-hmm. and from drivers. Uh, on, a, I suppose, a related subject, uh, the EU, there's a, uh, this is a pilot scheme, is it, uh, to count all, well, I don't know, it's yeah, all the buggings in yeah, the air. But yeah. the, the whole, the pollinator thing is really important. Now, I know it sounds contradictory to what we're talking about, but <laughs> I mean, you can do an awful lot with one bush, Catonia aster bush, or one Rosa rugosa, um, when it comes to the bees and the butterflies. And they're not necessarily, you know, the greatest fond of, you know, overgrown grass verges. So they want flowers and they want that kind of stuff. But, um, uh, yeah, it's an EU scheme to track bumblebees and solitary bees and hoverflies and butterflies in Ireland. And it wants to do it across farmland and semi-natural and public land as well. And it's part of a EU-wide scheme to just track what the story is. So they're going to be monitored at 50 sites in the country. And the data then will add in to what citizens have been doing for a long time. And, you know, we'll get an idea of what the situation actually is. Now, we, we have a decent garden here at home. And, um, and one thing we've found is that if you want to have bumblebees in your garden, you plant a cotoneaster. And a cotoneaster okay. is a plant that will go up against a wall and climb a wall. Now, it won't stick to it, but it will kind of support itself as it goes up along the wall. It has the tiniest of little uh, pink flowers. Now, when I mean tiny, I mean like a full stop on a, a, an A4 document. I mean, they are tiny and, um, and little green leaves. And uh, we counted over 80 bees on it one day here about a month ago. Wow. Now it's gone out. Yeah, it's gone out of flower now at this stage. So there's not as many bees hanging around it. But the noise of it, you couldn't get over it. So the, we found Cotoneaster, we can support, you know, that many bees on it. Another great plan for it is a Rosa Rugosa. And a Rosa Rugosa for country gardens would be ideal because it'd be great. It keeps animals out. It produces these lovely big saucer-shaped uh, roses at this time of the year. And then 
And so it's a really attractive, you know, with its yellow insides and the lovely pink, it's really attractive to the bees and we can see them and hear them, um, you know, really enjoying themselves. But then the other thing it does is that the, the, the flower turns into a big hip the size of a um, cherry tomato and goes scarlet. And it actually matures in November and October and provides a huge source of feed for for um, for the birds, for the little birds. OK, excellent and stuff. That's, uh, so that's the, pretty yeah. efficient. Yeah. And then the third one then is the echiums. Now, echiums, they're pretty spectacular. But what they do is after growing for two years, they produce this big stem of flowers. Now, when I mean big stem, I mean 10 foot tall. And it's like kind of a telegraph pole, that kind of a size and width. And uh, and it's covered in these like pale blue little flowers. Again, tiny, tiny flowers. And it is just now at this stage covered in bees and hoverflies and everything else that we have in the place. It's absolutely covered with them. Okay, so, uh, that's good to know. If you if you like insects or you don't like insects, we uh, we yeah, have to but, we have to but, leave it there, Maraid. I'm sorry, we're a bit uh, uh, we're behind ourselves now at this point. Uh, thanks a million, uh, as ever, Maraid Lavery. There you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break. After that, the car that eats pollution. Moncrief on News Talk, brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.